first book of the New Testament. And I'll tell you in advance, uh, this is something that, uh, talking about uh, a topic this morning that affects everybody, whether you're saint, sinner, churchgoer, uh, rarely attend, uh, if you watch anything on the news, if you ever take a look at social media, if you uh, hang around anybody, if you haven't just crawled out from under a rock this morning, then this topic that we're going to deal with is um, appropriate, but it's also, uh, like I said, I want to not be uh, forceful with it, but at the same time, uh, we just have to be blunt and just call it what it is. We live in a a time where everybody seems to be offended. For whatever reason, we live in a nation that is in the midst of offense and Uh, everybody somewhere, somehow is offended by something somebody else did, something somebody else said, something somebody else didn't say. And the Bible speaks to this, uh, and he tells us that there's going to be offense. Uh, But he also says that our relationships, first of all with him and with each other, are supposed to be so good that even though offense is going to happen, we have to deal with it. And how we deal with that is ultra important, and the worst thing to do is not to deal with it. And, and that's part of the problem, is it's easy to tick shots at people through social media. You don't have to see them. You don't have to interact with them. And offense comes. And, and especially, I understand this as a pastor. I mean, you have to pray through for about 20 minutes and then reread something you're going to post or say uh, so that you don't offend somebody somehow. And it shouldn't be that way. There was a time when we could just speak plainly. <laughs> But the world has changed. And so as we realize this, uh, we're going to talk about how to build a fence this morning. I'm playing on the word uh, fence, meaning offense. (laughs) But I I think you'll see uh, the connection here. So I don't know what started the perpetual offense that's going on, but um, there's some questions that we should ask ourselves, which is, is there a way to live less offended? Is there a way for you to live less offended? Is there a way to get out of the trap of offense? Because the offense is a trap. And how do I keep from turning my marriage, my relationships, my work, my life into a living hell? Because those that are caught in offense ruin their lives, ruin the the relationships of the people around them because they can't ever move past it. They're stuck. And when they're stuck, it seems like they want everybody else to be stuck as well. And yet, God, through His great Word, says that we've got a way to deal with this, and we've got a way to handle this, and it's not always easy, but it's, it is something that is so needed today. So if you join me, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin with verse 20, read through verse 23. Now, Jesus is talking, and he's speaking to a group of people that is very mixed. There's religious people and common people and all kinds of people. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you ever get into a crowd more than about 10 people, a fence just seems to be there ready to linger. It's just, uh, the Old Testament said that sin is waiting at the door. It's like somebody's just waiting for you to say that word, waiting for you to do that thing, just waiting. And now 
they're offended. And Jesus realized this too. He, he lived in such a time that we're living in now. And maybe you've dealt with that. And, and it's amazing how much offense can happen. So he says, I'm telling you, all of you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a pretty big deal because there are scribes and Pharisees right there, and they thought that the way to heaven was to keep all the laws, to do the checklist, to be a good boy, to be a good girl, to do all the things that they thought they were supposed to do. But Jesus comes and he says, it's way more than that. We're talking about a heart issue. We're talking about an attitude. And so it doesn't please me when you keep the checklist, but you're keeping other people out of heaven and you're not treating people right. So I wonder how they felt when he said, you've got to be more righteous than these guys that think that they're righteous. You've got to be a better person than these people who think that they're really good people or you're not going to make it into heaven. Verse 21, and he starts on this, today we'd call it a rant, but really it's just some, a strong series of messages. He says, you've heard it said of those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Now, everybody in that crowd knew that it was, it was wrong to murder, that it was punishable. It was, it was a justifiable thing only if it was an accidental killing, and if you murder somebody, that the judgment of God would fall on you. And so they're shaking their head, yeah, we know that you're not telling us anything new. But he says, let's go a little bit deeper. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka. Now, I'm sure that's a, a strange word. It actually has some Chaldean roots. It's not even a Hebrew word. But I don't know about you, but especially before I was saved, I said some worse words than Raka. How about you? <laughs> and those words like that, especially in their type of language, when you have those hard constants, Raka, it just sounds like a cuss word. I don't care who you are. It just sounds like a cuss word. So if you're supposed to say to somebody, Raka, <laughs> you'll be in danger of the council. That means they pull you before a religious magistrate. Okay? So you just say something like that, and somebody's going to counsel you. Now look, at, look what happens. But whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of what? Wow. Now did your Bible say what my Bible says? It says that if you call somebody a fool, you are in danger of the fires of hell. You ever done that? Did you feel like you were in danger? No, you probably felt like you were justified. I wouldn't have to call the person that if they weren't being a fool, right? But do you understand this progression that he's making, that he's trying to help us understand that I started with murder, but where that murder starts is when you start from your heart saying, you're a fool. You're an idiot. Raka. Because no action happens that didn't start in the heart. We saw the events just a few weeks ago in Las Vegas. Somewhere it started in a heart way before the action ever took place. He didn't just wake up that morning in his hotel room and decide, I think I'll kill a bunch of people. Somewhere along the line, a thought happened, 
a hard action began, and then a planning process took place. You see, this is linked to something that all those Jews would have known. Because if you go back to the original language when he talks about the, the fires of hell, he's referring to a place called Gehenna. And this is from the Old Testament when kings, even the Jewish kings of Judah, fell under some true deception and they began to offer their children as sacrifices to a foreign god named Molech, who was a, a statue carved out of bronze, and they would start a fire kindled up in there until the statue was hot. And then they would take this child naked and place it in the hands of Molech, and it would literally burn the child in a human sacrifice. And from the moment that that happened, God judged them... <laughs> Curse them, and that valley, the valley of Gehenna, was considered curse. And this is what he's saying. He's like, you think that you can get away with this. You think that you can just offer up a human life. You are in danger of hellfire. You're in danger of being cursed. You're in danger of the judgment. And what's even worse is that this was a place where they used to try to get rid of it. They would dump trash there, but there was always a smoldering fire. And that, by definition, is the nature of offense. It's just sitting there many times covered, smoldering, just ready to flare up, ready to burst, ready to lash out, just like any type of flame is. And, and it seems like it, there's just this, a little bit of smoke. It's no big deal, but I'll tell you what. It's just smoldering under the surface. I want to point you to a couple of the scriptures here so you understand how potent this is. The Songs of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, he says this. He says, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. And maybe you've heard this before. It's the little foxes that spoil the vines. This is exactly what he's talking about. This is usually offense. Usually offense comes from a, a couple of little things. It's usually not some huge thing, but it's something that appeals to your sense of pride, your ego, your sensibilities, and you want to fool yourself into saying, I'm mature enough to deal with this, and you won't admit you're hurt. And it just sits in there and smolders. And when you see that person, and you hear their voice, and you see what they're doing, and you look at their life, it smolders, and it heats up, and you just have this fire in your belly, not for good for this person, but you're offended and your pride is keeping you from admitting you're offended, and it just continues to build and build. Now, Luke chapter 17, like I said, Jesus says to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Look at this. It's impossible for there not to be offenses because you can always mistake or misread or mishear or look at something differently than it actually happened. He's like, just understand offenses are going to come, but woe to him through whom they come. Now, what he's saying is if you're the person that's offended somebody, he's not saying that you're eternally cursed, but what he's saying is your job is not to try to offend people. Just like in the ministry, the gospel will offend people, but it's not my job to try to offend you, or I make myself under judgment of God. It's not my job to try to offend you. It's not our job to try to offend people. 
But unfortunately, that's come to the surface in our culture today, that we just don't care about being offensive. And, and sometimes it even seems the more offensive, the more it pulls us, the more it seems to get people's attention. We all know this. We live in a country where there's lots of civil liberties, but as soon as we see somebody burn a flag, their message is forgotten because of that act. And we're offended. And it didn't matter how important their cause were, what they were upset about, but what they did completely overshadowed any voice that they had. We've seen it with the NFL this year. They had causes and all of these different things, and yet they want to link it to something that almost all of them said has nothing to do with that. And guess what's happened? People have become offended. And then they get offended because people are offended. And then the owners get offended. And then the union gets offended. And then you and I get offended. And pretty soon, we have this cycle that somehow we have to learn how to break. Now, here's some truths for you this morning, just so you can hopefully digest it and realize that it's, if you have been offended, it's not like you're some uh, weak or fragile person. Almost anybody sitting here, you've got the opportunity or, or you've had the opportunity or you have been offended by somebody. And I wish it didn't happen in church, but offenses happen in church. But here's the reality. The offense is an event, but being offended is a decision. I'll say that again. The offense is an event. It's something that happened. But being offended is a decision. That thing can happen, but I can choose, you can choose to not be offended. That's a decision. Did you know that you have that decision? Somebody can do anything to you, say anything to you, uh, and you don't have to be offended. Did you know it's not part of your American rights? <laughs> it's not part of the civil liberties package. It's not part of your rights as a Christian. I, I have the right to be offended. No, you don't. <laughs> you might have been offended, but you don't have a right to be offended. That offense may have come, but you don't have a right to be offended. And the reason why is because he doesn't want that for your life because it's a sticking place. It's a trap. Another truth, the closer the relationship, the greater the opportunity. The greater the opportunity for intimacy, the greater the opportunity for forgiveness, but also the greater the opportunity for offense. This is why we all know that it's not like anybody else. Nobody else can hurt you as bad as somebody that loves you. Somebody that you're close with, somebody you've had a long-term relationship with, those are some of the worst hurts that come. When some stranger walks up on me in the street and says, hey, you're a really ugly-looking guy. I'm like, I don't even know this guy. It's no big deal. And I kind of get the gist of that. I, I know I've got a perfect face for radio. It's, it's made for it. But how about your best friend, your wife, your husband, your child? your mom or your dad, and says to you, man, I don't know how you got so ugly, but it's hurtful. The closer the relationship, the greater the opportunity for lots of powerful things, but we also have to understand there's some of the negative as well, the greater the opportunity for offense. 
And maybe you've been in church long enough you, and you've, you've practiced the legalistic view of forgiveness, which means I said I forgave them, but in your heart it's still smoldering. <laughs> and I can tell you from having to practice this, it's not a one-time thing of me just saying I forgive you. It's me walking it out again and again and again and again. And there's people who are offended by God. People that how could God be good if he took my grandma, my mom, my sister, my brother, my... And, and they're never going to say they don't believe in God, but they're offended. And in their heart, there's a distance that's being created with every passing moment. And now they're even sensitive to it. Every time something bad happens, they say, yep, that's a... You keep saying there's a good God. And they get offended. Or all those people in church, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, just like at your work, but you keep going. We are imperfect people. And most of the time, from what I've seen, most people aren't intentionally trying to offend, but you've already been offended by somebody else, and so that smoldering is going on, and then all it takes is, oh, the pastor didn't shake my hand. Do you see that woman? She didn't even say hi to me. Could it be? Could it be they didn't even see you? And it gets even worse. Now we've got social media. They didn't respond to my post. Or they did respond to my post, but I didn't want to hear what they have to say. Now I'm offended. But, you, but you're too proud to even say I'm offended. <laughs> so then you post, and then they post, and, and we start this posting war. And then somebody from the outside chimes in. <laughs> and now you're both offended at that person, and you don't even know them. And they don't even know you. It only takes one person to forgive. But it does take two to be reconciled. You're probably not offended with yourself. And you may be able to forgive that person in your heart. But you're going to have to share that relationship with them for there actually to be reconciliation. That person needs to know how you feel. That person needs to know, hey, I didn't know that, that you felt that way. I'm sorry. Imagine how that feels after years of you being offended. They say, I didn't even know you felt that way. I am so sorry. <laughs> but in your mind, you've built it up like it was some big slight and how they were making you feel inferior and how they just treated you poorly, and it was an accident. It was an accident. So I asked Pastor Tim if he'd come up and, and help me this morning. We're going to talk about how to build a fence. Now, you know the saying that uh, if I strike you on one cheek, no. <laughs> we won't practice that. All it takes for a fence, all it takes for a fence is for a couple of small things to get crosswise between two people. So I'll ask if you could hold those for me. And then what the Bible says is that we sometimes get planks in our eyes <laughs> and we can't see correctly. And how many know that planks are made up of a million little specks? Just little things over time. And it doesn't seem like much. I mean, look how narrow that is. <laughs> that, that surely couldn't come between me and my friend. Notice that there's already something between us that if we could just let him down, if we could just let it fall. But what happens is over time, little words, little situations, little things. This is a, a little nail in here. 
Just one or two. And then some more. Hold that straight, man. You'll offend me. There you go. Little bitty things that hold the offense. And then some more time passes. Sometimes they're bigger than others. And little bitty things, the little foxes. And before long, whether we knew it or not, I'm getting blocked out of this relationship. Piece by piece, action by action, the little things that begin to stack up that one board, if we could just lay it down, if we could just deal with it. But our pride keeps us hanging on to it. And then pretty soon, without even knowing it, we look up. And we've got a fence. <laughs> and we can't reach each other like we used to anymore. And we didn't plan to build a fence. <laughs> We didn't even want to build a fence. But just a couple of things got crosswise that didn't get dealt with. And then some small things started putting up barriers over time. And that's what these little gaps represent. Something happens, and then there's a gap. And we recover a little bit. And then another thing, and a gap. And then another thing, and a gap. And another thing. And then pretty soon, I mean, what would it look like to you? Thank you. Give, give Pastor Tim a hand this morning. It would make it so much easier if people had to carry this when they came into church to let you know that they were offended. Because then you'd know that person's offended, but it doesn't look like that. The problem is that spiritually and relationally, it looks exactly like this. You can't get close anymore. And they're still going to smile because they feel some Christian obligation. They feel like, well, I've got to be nice, and I've got to work past my hurt. But you're not working past your hurt. It's still smoldering in your heart. And this thing is keeping them at bay. And the more they want to get closer, the more they try to work to resolve it, the farther away you push them. And you can still see them. And we still have a relationship. Everything's fine. And I've dealt with these people. Hey, it seems like something's wrong. Oh, no. No, we're fine. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. What's, what's that fence there? What fence? I don't see a fence. It's not a fence. <laughs> it's an offense. And the devil uses our pride to say, oh, you're not offended. It's that other person's fault. <laughs> and then our common sense kicks in and says, it's such a small thing. I mean, I can just forgive and forget. The problem is you can't forget. <laughs> and then pretty soon you can't forgive. You just go on with life hoping that it'll fix itself, but it won't fix itself. And the relationship begins to fall apart, and even worse, it begins to spread. Begins to spread because of offense. 
Matthew chapter 5 back again, verses 24 through 26. Look at how he says to deal with this. The devil uses these small, subtle issues, just an action, just a small word. And what he, from the very beginning, I want you to get this. Not just with marriage, but with, with relationships, even all the way back to the Tower of Babel, that God always wanted people to be together. And so he takes two and makes them one. But through the power of offense, the devil takes one and makes them two. Through the power of offense, devil takes one church and makes it two. Takes one marriage and makes it two. Takes a set of friends and separates them, and he's always in the process of division. If you read back to the Tower of Babel, it says that the whole people were one. One vision, one language, one plan. And it said, God looked down and he realized they'll be able to achieve anything that they put their mind to. And the devil's like, I know how to fix that. (laughs) We'll just give him various opinions and we'll begin to divide them and then they'll get nothing done. Look at our government system right now. We're arguing over what's going on in Twitter instead of getting the job done. Who would have thought that Twitter would stop Congress and the House? And yet here we are. 24 through 26, notice what he says. When you're coming and you're going to worship me, I want you to leave your gift before the altar. And I want you to go your way. First, before you worry about me, you and I can deal with this. But before you deal with that, you go get reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. See how important this is? Before you worship, before you pray, before you do your church stuff, you need to make sure that you and your fellow humans are in good relationship. Or it's kind of useless to say, God, I love you, when you've got anger in your heart. (laughs) Remember how we started? He said, if you've got anger in your heart, it's the same as murder. (laughs) And you're in danger of judgment. You go and find your brother. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now listen, if you're the only one that knows you're offended, who has to go and start the reconciliation process? You do. That's what makes it so hard. You go find your brother or sister. You go start the process. And yes, it will always be awkward. Yes, it's not comfortable. But if you really want that trap to be disassembled so that it won't trap you anymore, you have to find a way to be reconciled, which means it's like everything's been brought together. Reconciled is an accounting term. There's more on one side than the other. You overspent. And he said, how do we reconcile that? You put more back into the account until they both balance. For those of you that don't understand finances, I just helped you. They should balance. (laughs) What comes in and goes out. (laughs) But how about on what you feel people owe you? On the offense scale, I've been highly offended. Guess what it takes? A high degree of reconciliation. And again, I'm not saying any of this is comfortable. 
or easy because we are people that don't want to admit that we are wrong. We don't want to appear soft and weak. We don't want to have to go confront somebody. But if you can't do it, you're going to live with the offense and it will grow and smolder and you will begin to ruin your life. And it will carry over and pretty soon it's not just that person that you see on Sunday. Pretty soon you're carrying that to work. And then you're saying, that person reminds me of that idiot from church. And then you bump into that idiot from church at Walmart and there's, oh my God, did you see her? Did you see how she looked at me? I'm not doing that, so you jump over a few more aisles. Then you run into the idiot from work. And then, so pretty soon you can't even go to the store. It's like the, the grumpy old man that took a nap and his kids thought they'd have a good laugh on him and they took a little bit of Lindberger cheese, which is, Nasty cheese, and they rubbed it in his mustache while he was asleep. And he woke up and he says, What is that smell? This room stinks. Went to another room, and this this room stinks, and another this house stinks. And he stepped outside, the whole world stinks. Or could it be? <laughs> Could it be, if you think that the whole world stinks, could it be you've got Limburger in your mustache? Maybe it's you. <laughs> maybe, just maybe it's you. Now, maybe you were wronged, but you have to start the reconciliation process. And what happens is our mind says, well, they hurt me. They need to apologize. They may not even know they hurt you. So you're going to be waiting a very, very long time. This is what makes it so difficult. Look what he says. You go take care of that. Then you can come and deal with me. Then you and I can be right once you make sure that you're right between your brothers and sisters. Verse 25, this is powerful. Agree with your adversary quickly. Now, sometimes we think, oh, that means my enemy. But many times that adversary is a person you used to call brother or sister. The NIV says, settle matters quickly. That is a great way to deal with offense. The, just soon after you get offended, settle matters quickly. Don't give it a chance to smolder. Don't give it a chance to grow. Don't give it a chance to get lodged in your heart. Settle things quickly while you're on your way with him. Or your adversary may deliver you to the judge, and the judge hands you over to the officer, and you get thrown into prison. Look at verse 26. You will by no means get out of there until you. Now, who was offended? But who's in prison? Until you pay the last penny. If you're somebody this morning that this made sense to you, it doesn't mean you're bad or unsaved or immature. It means you've been offended. <laughs> and you have the power by the Holy Spirit of God, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, to put down your fence. <laughs> you don't have to carry it. Now, you can choose to but you don't have to. 
And if you haven't noticed, it doesn't make you feel better. It doesn't make you feel more secure. It doesn't make you feel more at peace. Have you noticed that? Maybe it's time to take down the fence. Maybe it's time to dismantle it. Your adversary might be who you used to call brother. Remember what I said about close relationships? Isn't it amazing how much hurt can happen in a family? And the person that you would call mom, dad, brother, sister, whatever, now is an adversary? Settle things quickly. Agree. Uh, Just admit to yourself that you're offended and start the reconciliation process. But do it quickly before it sets in. And then you've got to train your mind to overlook that offense. If not, we start looking for offenses and we always find what we look for. If you're looking for some people to be mean to you, you can find them. (laughs) Right? This is the world we live in. And now what happens when you've got a bunch of people that are offended and they're looking for offense? It's like trying to dance with a porcupine. I mean, come on. This is difficult times we live in. But if you keep looking for it, you think you're looking for the perfect church, but as soon as you get there, it's ruined. Because you're not a perfect person, and the people sitting there aren't perfect people. And pretty soon you're going to find out that so-and-so said to so-and-so, such and such, and pretty soon this is just like my last church. Yep, just like all of them. (laughs) You see what a progression this was? Remember who he's talking to at the very beginning, verse 20. He's talking to Pharisees and scribes, and he tells them, you say don't murder, and they're all like, well, of course we wouldn't. We are religious, God-fearing men. But it wasn't long before they got offended with Jesus, and pretty soon they're making a plot to kill him. Isn't that interesting? They didn't just say, kill him. They's like, let's trap him. He keeps saying stuff to us that we don't like to hear. Pretty soon we've got to figure out, let's question his authority. Let's ask him where he comes from. Oh, nothing good comes from Galilee. We're going to throw it back at you. And Jesus didn't care. And pretty soon we're making plans to kill this man. And you think in your heart, I would never get there. You give enough offense, enough time, and pretty soon you may not physically do it, but you'll do it spiritually, emotionally, and relationally, and it's just as if that person was dead to you. You won't talk to them anymore. You can't hear them anymore. You're hearing through a different filter and everything they say is wrong or abrasive. And and that person that used to be so close, that person that used to be a trusted brother, sister, friend, colleague, now you can't hear their voice and your relationship is gone. Not because of something dramatic, but usually because of something small that over time built a fence. And this last part is so important. That's why I save it for the end. See, the enemy and our egos, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, line up. We still deal with a sin man, a sin woman. We still deal with feelings and emotions and and sense of pride and all of those things. But the reality is if you're going to deal with offense, don't nurse it. 
You see, the Holy Spirit will come and point out that offense, trying to let you drop it. Remember I said this, a couple things getting sideways, and if we would just drop it. But we don't. We nurse it, and we make sure that it gets strong and healthy. As we remind ourselves and repeat those things and we tell ourselves in our heart how much we were slighted and how much we were wronged and, and how horrible that person is and we nurse it. And then we rehearse it. We tell ourselves that situation over and over and over and it only grows. And it only grows. The more we hang on to it, the more it grows. It's like bad octopus, man. You, if it's not prepared right, you try to eat it, and it's like a, 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 a steel-belted radial in your mouth that just keeps growing, man. Chewy, 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 chewy. This thing's growing. It's not getting going away. I can't even swallow it. This thing's getting bigger. The more we chew on a fence... The bigger it gets, the more we rehearse what happened to us, the bigger it gets, and the worse it gets. Right? Anybody have grandparents that told you about the good old days? I had to walk to school in cardboard shoes through four feet of snow. And, and it gets worse. Every time they tell the story, it gets worse. I didn't even have laces for the cardboard. I had to hold it on while I was walking. I mean... I had to walk to school uphill both ways. I mean, that's after I got up at four and milked the cows and had to saddle the horse. And, and then you talk to their grandparents, you're like, I don't know what they're talking about. But the story grows and grows and grows. Talk to a fisherman sometime, right? Bad day of fishing. I caught one this far from the boat. And I fought it for three hours. I mean, it was a, a three-pound shad. How did you fight that thing for three hours? You rehearse it. And here's where it gets dangerous. Then you disperse it. You bring somebody else into your offense. You get with a friend that says, you know, I really didn't want to have to tell you this, but did you know what so-and-so said to me? two years ago? No, what did they say? I hate to even bring it up, but since you asked. And then pretty soon that person's offended with you. It didn't happen to them, but they're offended with you. See, what happened is they picked up your fence. Now two people, one person that wasn't offended, but they're offended for the other person, and now that person is blaming that other person. I can't believe that he would do that to you. I can't believe he said that. And then, so what do they do? They do what any good Christian would do. They call the prayer chain. They say, you wouldn't believe what happened to Sister What's-Her-Face. Uh, Brother so-and-so said this to her two years ago. Can you believe that? Well, it sounds like you're offended. Oh, no, 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 I'm not offended. I'm just praying for my friend. <laughs> but it's a funny that now she has an idea about brother so-and-so that she never had before. And now their relationship has changed, not because he did anything to her, but because he supposedly said something to so-and-so two years ago. And now the prayer chain has a brand new fence 
So now you've got 12 to 20 people in your churches offended, but only one of them actually heard what happened and felt what happened, <laughs> but the rest of them are just carrying the fence with her, with him. And when we begin to disperse it, trouble is on the way. You get a good population of people offended that can't admit it because of their, quote, spiritual maturity. And it's pretty tough to even pray for those people because they can't admit that they've been hurt. And they didn't truly gossip. They just shared in prayer. And that thing begins to spin and spin, and spin. And pretty soon, actions take place. Well, you know what? Maybe we need to ask brother so-and-so to leave if he's going to act like that. We need to have an intervention. And I believe in intervention, but just not how most people practice it today because we've replaced the word ambush with intervention. I'm going to invite you into a room that you don't know what's going on, and when you get there, you're going to see 12 people that all know what's going on. We've already decided that we're going to judge you, and we're going to have an intervention. And then pretty soon, Pastor so-and-so is not there anymore because there was an intervention. And Elder so-and-so is not there anymore because there was an intervention. All because a couple things got crosswise, <laughs> Somebody couldn't let it fall. And over time, just a few little things again and again and again. And we've got a big fence that nobody will admit exists. And the devil's just rubbing his hands saying, perfect. And they're not even blaming me. They're blaming each other. And pretty soon they'll start blaming God. And that's exactly what I wanted in the first place. Because <laughs> if we actually got physically attacked by the enemy, we usually respond in kind. But what he wants to do is use people to hurt people. Because hurt people hurt people. <laughs> it's like a little landmines going off in churches all over America. So how do we fix it? Decide that if you feel like you're offended this morning, let go. It's not that you have to say, it doesn't matter. It does matter. It hurt you. But I'm not going to hang on to it anymore. I'm actually going to go and make a reconciliation. And I'll tell you, please, please pick your place because it's probably going to feel very uncomfortable in a church setting for you to go do that. And if you must do it, great. But it's going to feel so much better to go to that person in private without a bunch of eyes on you, without a bunch of pressure, and just be able to say, you know, I'm, I'm concerned. We used to be such good friends. And the other person will probably say, yeah, it just seems like we drifted apart. What happened? Well, two years ago, and that person will probably say, no, real, uh, I am sorry you thought that I was treating you that way. If I had known, I would have fixed this. But they didn't know because you nursed it and rehearsed it 
and dispersed it for two years. Now the thing's out of control. Settle things quickly. When you feel it, even, maybe, even before it even begins, somebody says something to you and you feel that little, ugh, don't have to be brave, you don't have to be tough, you can go and say, now, can I talk to you afterwards? Yeah. When you called me an idiot, <laughs> I kind of took that personal. <laughs> Give them a chance to explain instead of just running with it. Allow the Holy Spirit to do what he does. Did you know he's called the comforter? Then when we feel that pain, not only is he pointing to it so we'll get it out because it's like poison in our heart, poison in our soul. Instead of just denying it, agree with him quickly and say, Lord, I've got to fix this. And I'm going I'm to do the right thing. I'm going to do the biblical thing. And, and I'm not going to make them come and apologize to me because they may not know. I'm going to go to them. And I'm not going to demand my rights and I'm not going to make ultimatums. I'm going to go and start a reconciliation process. I'm going to try to bring things back into balance. An amazing thing happens. You feel free. You realize how much tension had been on that trap called a fence all that time. All of a sudden it's out in the air and you can both acknowledge it and then all of a sudden the trap is gone. <laughs> and the dangerous thing with this is that the other person isn't trapped, you are. You're the only one stuck in that time frame, in that sentence, in that action. They've moved on, but you're stuck. And some of you have been dealing with that. You got horribly hurt, abused, emotionally, physically, verbally, whatever it may have been. And you can either nurse it and rehearse it and disperse it, or you can allow the Holy Spirit of God to let forgiveness flow into your life and create a whole new dynamic. And you're still stuck. Whenever somebody talks to you, you get past the pleasantries, and then you're talking about 15 years ago when you were a kid, and it's still just as fresh as it ever was. That's not what God wants for you. That's not his plan for an abundant, overcoming life. And if you would, it, like I said, even this morning as we, as we have time for the altar, Maybe you can't even let go of this thing. You've been holding it so long you don't know how to let go. Just hold it up to God. <laughs> let him take it. <laughs> let him take it. Maybe you're not strong enough right now to go to that person, but let God take that thing from you. He is so much stronger, so much higher, so much better than all of that.